Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor, filling in for Kieran Hancock. Today, we're going to discuss the hot topic of the week, which is, of course, Brexit. What would a Leave vote mean, but also what would a Remain vote mean for Irish and UK economic prospects? I'm joined to discuss that in a moment by Chris Johns, Irish Times columnist, and Alan McQuaid, economist with Merrion Capital. Later on, we're going to be discussing JP McManus and his tax dispute with the US Revenue Authorities with the Irish Times business journalist, Mark Paul. But first, Brexit. Chris Johns, is there any rational, sensible economic argument in favour of Brexit? The short answer to that is an unequivocal no. Um, There is, of course, a slightly longer answer. There is a very, very small group of economists. I think they call themselves economists for breakfast, breakfast for Brexit. um, And that's headed by a a well-known ageing economist called Patrick Minford. And there are one or two other um, well-known names in that group. But it's only one or two. Um, In all of my career looking at economies, looking at economics, I have never on any issue seen such unanimity Mm. of opinion um, about Brexit. Um, best uh, best example I can give is a survey of about 800 economists worldwide produced 4% who thought it was a good idea. Um, 4% is an incredibly no, low number in a profession that's notorious mm, for disagreeing. Just going to say that. Notorious yes. for disagreeing. You know, um, the two-handed economists, all the economist mm, jokes that mm. we could tell are all about economists arguing with each other about pretty fundamental issues. Or on this, with themselves. Or, some, or maybe even one economist holding at least two opinions. On this issue, I have never seen the profession so unified. Well, tell me, Chris, if, if that's the case, and all sensible argument is for, uh, is for the UK to remain in the EU, and as you, I think, wrote in, your, uh, in a column in the paper recently, that, that, that a vote for Brexit is a vote to be poorer, how on earth have these arguments gained traction? I think there are various strands to this. I think a psychologist is probably called for to be present in the room as much as a bunch of economists. Um, An advertising guy would tell you, if you put two issues side by side with each other, one quite sensible, one quite rational, the other utterly ludicrous, um, they gain parity of esteem in people's Mm. minds. And and I think the media is partly responsible for this Mm. in that, you know, if you have somebody declaring that the earth is flat... The media rarely comes out and says, this lunatic says that the Earth is flat. Mm. The media responds by saying, guy says Earth is flat, scientists take a look. Mm. This is kind of what's happening to Brexit. I think the best 
way I've seen it described is that um, the 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 Brexit side not is is there are some nice people in that side, but the, 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 the not every Brexiteer is insane, not every Brexiteer is a liar, not every Brexiteer is xenophobic or racist, but most of the xenophobic, racist, lying, anti-intellectual types in the UK are all voting Brexit. Mm. And if they get their way and there is a Brexit vote, how bad? In your view, is the are the economic consequences for Britain? Are we looking at a, at a recession? Are we looking at years of difficulty? What, what, what might we be looking at? I think it will be chaos. I think it will be incredibly difficult. I think the first thing that will happen, um, we don't know with any certainty. That's one of the things we have to admit to. We don't. None of these things are certain, but there is a, a very high probability that the UK goes straight into recession. Um, one of the things that uh, people have focused on is very much the UK economy, which obviously has been you know, at the centre of attention in, in the debate. But it's the wider impact that hasn't received enough attention. I think that um, the, the, the impact here, of course, has been discussed greatly, the, the impact on our economy. But I think it will be dreadful here too. And I think it will be dreadful for Europe as well. Alan McQuaid of Merrion Capital, uh, dreadful for Europe, dreadful for Ireland. Do you agree? What, what, what would be the economic consequences for us, for Minister Noonan and his budget, and, and I suppose for jobs? Well, I suppose the immediate impact, assuming they, they do vote to leave, is that sterling is going to fall quite sharply. Mm-hmm. I think um, the well-known uh, speculator George Soros, I think was quoted during the week, saying that he expected a 15% fall in the currency. Mm-hmm. So if sterling was weakened that much, that would be very bad news for us. I mean, particularly on the agri-food side, I mean, about half of those exports here go to the UK. It'd be also bad news for tourism. Um, and I think it, it puts all bets off in terms of economic forecasts for the economy going forward. Now, I think some would argue that there are positives or possible positives in terms of uh, foreign direct investment. We may gain from uh, companies that are based over there, particularly in the financial services industry coming over here. Um, but I think in overall terms, you'd have to assume that um, given that UK is such a big part in, in our you know e- economic performance that if they do leave, um, it's, 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 it's not good news for us. But I do agree with Chris. I think... I think all the focus on this has been on the, on, uh, you know, has been on the UK. I think this has got weather implications. I mean, if you look last year, you know, the whole focus was on Greece and Brexit. Okay, the you could say that leaving the eurozone is nearly impossible, but Greece is a small player in the world. UK is the fifth, UK is the fifth largest economy in, in the world and the second biggest player in the EU. So if the second biggest player leaves. That's opening up the door for everybody else to leave. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that next year we've got some very crucial elections in, across Europe, particularly in France and Germany. And I think Marine Le Pen, I think France has promised a referendum on EU membership if she gets in. And I think that would have far more reaching consequences if, if France were to leave, really, in terms of given that the whole thing or the whole EU sort of concept, I suppose, is based on the, the Franco-German uh, axis. Mm-hmm. So if that were to split, I think, you know, that would have serious implications. But I think Chris is right. I mean, you have to assume if this thing goes pear-shaped in terms of they do vote to leave, you're going to have turmoil on financial markets. Uh, the global economy is going to be hit. I mean, we've seen the US Federal Reserve dithering you know, back and forth about whether to raise rates. Uh, I think one of the reasons they didn't raise rates last week is because of the, the, the vote that's coming up this, uh, tomorrow on, on Brexit. I mean, if Britain votes to leave, I think it's more likely that the US will be cutting rates rather than raising rates. We'll be talking about uh, Minister Noonan's summer economic statement in a minute, but he had a set of economic forecasts for Ireland over the next few years underpinning those, which 
a fairly optimistic growth of 5% this year and, and healthy growth over the, out over the next few years. If Brexit does come, are those forecasts rendered null and void, do you think? I would say so. I mean, the problem we have here is that we, we haven't got even got first quarter GDP numbers, so we don't know how well the economy has performed in the first quarter. But looking at the... Uh, the PMI data for the second quarter, it's clear it's that the purchasing, the, managers, yeah, index. The purchasing yeah. managers indices that the you know there has been a Brexit of impact. And those uh, indices have started to weaken and weaken to, to a couple of, a couple of year multi year lows. Is, is that people putting off investment decisions, putting off buying decisions? Is that is that why that? Yeah, I, I, I'd imagine so. But I mean, I think all you can say, uh, Cliff, at this point in time is that I'd imagine Q two in terms of economic growth would be weaker than Q one, yeah. uh, mainly because of the, of the Brexit, the whole Brexit issue. Now, I think if, if Britain stays in, I would expect to see a bit of a lift in the second half of the year for, for you know, the economy, both in the UK and here. Um, but if, if Britain does leave, there's no doubt that all economic forecasts, whether they're, they're official or private sector forecasts, are, you know, are, are effectively out the window. I mean, you know. And very difficult to redraw them, I presume, given the extent of uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we don't know how it's going to play out. I mean... There's some people are saying it'll take two years for them to leave, but I mean, what goes on in the interim is, is, is anybody's guess. So, I think the worst thing for you know whether it's for for economists, for policymakers, etc., is uncertainty. Yeah. And you're going to be unfortunately if they do leave, you're going to have a lot of uncertainty for a long time. And that really, come back to your point about people postponing decisions. I think decisions will be put on the shelf uh, for, for 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 a good while. Yeah, Chris. Friday morning we wake up. There's a there's a Brexit vote. What happens in the markets? Um, obviously, uh, <laughs> that's subject to an awful lot of uncertainty, as we've said already. Um, best guess is that sterling will be down a lot. Um, Alan's mentioned the George Soros-type view, um, which strikes me as being eminently sensible. Um, st- you know, that could be double-digit percentage declines against the euro and the dollar. I would imagine that the FTSE would be off by a similar amount, Um one of the things that you can be sure of is that it's going to be up and down. There's going to be that time-honoured phrase, word, word volatility. There's going to be an awful lot of that. But it's not just about the UK markets. It's all the other markets as well. And this will be a negative shock for the world economy. Um, some people are willing, have been willing to put their, their colours to the master on this and say that it will be a bigger moment than Lehman's. Okay. And if it's a bigger moment than Lehman's, you know, we all remember what Lehman's was like. Mm. So we're talking Black Friday. I and think potentially, yes. A few black, and, a, and a Black Monday afterwards. Yeah. And, and as Alan was saying, this isn't something that, you know, Lehman's was a one-off event that we then mm. had to deal with the consequences of, of it happening. Mm. This is something that is going to have knock-on effects into other countries. Marine Le Pen might be the president of France next year who also might call a referendum on French membership of mm. the EU if mm-hmm. the precedent from the UK is, is, is granted. And they may do it anyway. Even if the UK votes to stay, we may see further referenda in, 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 in Europe. Um, we, is it two years or is it 10 years? We don't know how long they're going to take to exit. We don't know how long they're going to take to negotiate these thousands of trade agreements that are going to be torn up by a Brexit. We just don't know how long it's going to take. And as, again, as Alan was saying, the uncertainty that that's going to generate will just have all sorts of consequences, only some of which we can foresee. Many of the consequences are unforeseeable, but very few of them are good. So the Pandora's box is open, but very hard for the markets to know how to react in the sense you could argue it should weaken the euro as well, perhaps. It should weaken yeah, the European Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I think initially, I think you did mention sterling would weaken against, against all currencies, but I think more so against the dollar, because I think you're right. I think when people, when they sit back and think about it, they'll actually probably say, well, this isn't good for Europe. 
probably not good for the eurozone. So the losses against the euro may not be as, as steep as against the dollar, but the dollar will be the big winner. Mm. And of course, that has serious implications then, as, as Chris has said, about other parts of the world, particularly emerging markets. A sharp rise in the dollar would be would be very bad news for emerging markets. And, and uh, there are fears in that in that zone so, earlier this year. I mean, of course, you know, as you say, it's a Pandora's box. We've no idea of of, of, of saying what will happen. If they do stay in, I mean, I'd imagine the pound will rally strongly equities equity markets will do very very well mm. bond yields will rise um, and you could actually see quite a sharp rise of bond yields even though they're nominally very very low I mean I think you know you can see German bond yields maybe go from 5 basis points for 10 year money to 20 basis points which okay it's not a lot but it's a big jump in terms of actual mm. jump in terms okay the, the actual nominal level might be small but it's you know so I think either way Friday is going to be quite tumultuous you know you could you see an interest rate cut from the Bank of England on Friday morning for example um, if it is Brexit, as, as early as Friday. Right. Um, I think you'll see then speculation come through again. We've seen it from time to time over the last while about this thing called helicopter money, mm. which is the final phase of quantitative easing. Quantitative easing, you know, we've discussed it in this room an, an awful lot over the last couple of years. But helicopter money is rather than buying government bonds, entities like the Bank of England simply hands out cash to people. Mm. Um, How would it, they do that? Uh, the most likely way is that they would encourage the government to go out and start building bridges, building roads, and say that we'll 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 print the money to do that. So the German nightmare: central banks printing money. Yes. Yeah. And funding government deficits. Yeah, the last entity to do that, no matter what type of Lehman crisis Friday, Thursday or Friday brings, would be, of course, the ECB. Yeah. Um, the idea that they would ever do helicopter money in the teeth of that kind of Germanic opposition is that they would be last if ever they were to do it at all. But if the Bank of England would probably be the first ones thought of likely to do it. Um, and if it is a global shock, the Federal Reserve won't be too far behind. And uh, the bookies are are looking at a Remain vote still. Uh, I think Four to it, one uh, on. Uh, yeah, 80% or something, plus mm. probability at this mm. stage. If they're right, uh, if it is a Remain vote, do you agree with Alan? We'll see a bounce in the markets on Friday and starting up and... I do. Um, everybody happy? Or? My, my, my only uh, caveat to that is that we may have already seen quite a lot of that already. Mm. Um, that's what's been happening over the last three or four days. Buying buy the rumour. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, Remain has been repriced back into sterling and UK equities and also European equities. One of the more fascinating small aspects of market behaviour of the last few weeks, as, as the odds of Brexit grew, the one market that really did suffer along with the UK markets was, was European equities. European equities got sold off heavily and they've bounced heavily as well along with sterling. So clearly bets were being put on, as Alan was saying earlier, that you know the, the knock-on effects of this are enormous. And if there is going to be a Brexit, you clearly saw selling of European equities. And now that you've seen those odds shrink, the markets have been buying back those those European equities. So I think that a certain amount of it's been priced in, but I think that, will, yes, a relief rally is, is, is a continuation of the relief rally is quite likely. Okay, um, so in or out, we're going to see an interesting day on the markets on Friday. We might just move on for a couple of minutes to talk about the summer statement, which the government has just published, outlining what it expects in terms of money being available for the budget over the next few years. A fairly optimistic outlook, uh, one billion in 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 leeway this in in this October's budget for uh, spending increases and tax uh, hikes. Alan, or tax cuts, should I say. Alan, do you think this um, statement, Brexit, maybe put Brexit aside for the moment and assume there's a Remain vote, is this statement built on solid foundations? 
Well, you'd always question whether it's, it's built on solid foundations, but I mean, I mean, as usual with, with, with sort of government documents, it's, it's full of aspirations, and particularly with, with, with a new government coming in and, the, well, we're going to build so many houses, etc. I think the budget, budget parameters probably look okay at, at this point in time. Uh, my big concern would be that we're going back to the, the, the bad old days of, you know, spending at twice the level of, of tax cuts, you know, the bad old days of we're going to spend, spend, spend. Uh, and you know that, that's great, and, and maybe we maybe maybe you know we will get uh, more, more housing. Maybe we will see uh, uh, an eventual solution to to, to the health uh, health problem or the healthcare problem. But you know, my big worry is that we end up with you know worries on the line. That all that means is that we've more pay for public servants, uh, higher pensions for public servants, and no no better off with services. Um, you know, okay, the promise of cutting the USC, and you could argue that, you know, I think as Pierce Starty might have mentioned this morning, I mean, that, that's quite a, a big winner for the uh, Exchequer. So cutting that and getting getting rid of it completely, you know, we have to find the money elsewhere. So um, I think what I'd say, Cliff, is I think there are more questions than answers really with the document. I mean, you know, I think as where we, as we, where we currently stand, Ireland obviously is doing very, very well. There's no reason to doubt that the economy can continue to grow over the next few years, all things being equal. Um, but it's, it's, as most economists know and most commentators know, it's very difficult to forecast one week ahead, don't mind, you know, three or four years ahead, you know. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overcritical of the budgetary parameters in terms of the bottom line numbers we're looking at. But I think the rainy day fund, I think, is welcome in the sense that that we, we should have something put aside just in case things go pear shape again. Yeah, so the um, minister has agreed to put a billion yeah, aside so after I, I, 2018 I, 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 yeah. No problem with that. But I just think generally I, I do worry that, you know, this, uh, as we've got the money, lads, we're doing well, fine now, let's go and spend, spend, spend. And Do you not think we learned any lessons from the Celtic Tiger years when, you know, that was the problem, I suppose, there was a lot of money spent and a lot of criticism of value for money? Well, if you go back to the, the whole, I suppose, the, 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 the popular phrase during the, the crisis was the, the, the sovereign bank loop. In other words, the, there's a correlation between the, 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 the banking problem and, and the, the sovereign problem, the, 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 the state. Personally, I'd have more faith that the, the bankers have learned a lesson than the politicians have learned a lesson. Okay. I think the bankers are less likely to do make the, to balls up again, you know, than mm. the government. The government politicians give them a you know, give them free money there. They think they've got free money and they'll just they'll just waste it. So it's just it's just a political um just the way politics operates in Ireland. Oh, yeah, I think, and uh, yeah, well, that's that's the way it is. But I mean, you know, I, I think you can you can already see it there. I mean, you know, the the, the, the mood has changed. We're not you know, we're not going to have water charges. We're not going to have bin charges. We're not going to have this. You know, what, what are we going to do? We're just going to raise taxes on sort of certain individuals. They'll do all the all the graft, and we'll sit back and and, and reap the benefits. There is a case though, to spend more on. Investment, isn't there? Yeah, I think that's that's the difference. I mean, if you if if you were convinced that they could spend it on investment, I think, you know, Chris mentioned about what, what central banks would do in terms of infrastructural spending, etc. And you know, um, you could improve if if you were building it there or spending it there. Yes, like most people would be happy with. It, most economists would be happy with it, uh, but I'm I'm not convinced that's, that's the way it'll play out. Okay, Chris, are, are we are we uh, are we cursed to? Um repeat the mistakes of the past in terms of spending? There are certainly echoes of the past in all of that. I think everybody would have to agree. Um, I think some lessons have been learned, but by no means enough. There was talk before the election of an independent budget office mm. along the lines that they have in the UK and the US. That seems to have gone a bit quiet. Um, I, I would have applauded that. Um, I think that that's, that's badly needed here because there are some pretty dopey ideas in this spring statement. Um, the original idea of abolishing the USC is just daft. Why do, you, why do you say that? Um, the tax base needs broadening, not narrowing. 
Um, the UST was a great tax because everybody pays it. Um, everybody pay, you know, it, it's it's across the hub that essentially most of the working population. We have a model of taxation that says the more that we can tax a few individuals and a few companies, the better. Um, and that is utterly unsustainable. When the next crisis hits, whether it's Brexit related or something else that comes along in the future, as it inevitably will, if the way we've set policy at the moment continues, we'll find that our tax base is too narrow. That That's the number one concern. The broader concern is is, is the sense of strategic planning. There, is, there really isn't any, is there? This is all about making some optimistic forecasts and then promising to spend the money before it's even in the door. It would be better if at least we said we'll spend it once it's here. We're almost spending it before we've got it. How do you avoid that? How do you... How do you get out of, I suppose, the political imperative to spend, spend, spend? The government would be under pressure with the tax receipts coming in later this year. All the lobby groups will be will be in the door looking for more money. Well, this isn't an Irish problem. I mean, there are many countries that have mm. these fiscal problems. And this is the one small uh, part of the debate in Europe that I think is in favour of the Germanic approach to fiscal policy. They don't have many other um, uh, reasons for being so Germanic about it. But this is one. We We do, you know... The, when the Germans have a, make their case about Germ, uh, Greek and uh, Southern European and indeed Irish profligacy, they have a point, mm. don't they? Um, and the, if the European financial crisis hasn't put manners on us, then um, what on earth will? I think ultimately, you know, the, it's not clear what we could possibly do other than to be extremely radical and say, look, years ago we accepted that politicians couldn't be trusted with interest rates because they used to set them. And we, we, we had these kinds of conversations about monetary policy. We don't anymore because we, we've taken it away from politicians. Um, clearly, politicians can't be trusted with these decisions in many countries, not just Ireland. And I would say that um, a start would be to take the capital spending away from them. Um, because one of the things that happened here during the, 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 the crisis was that current spending wasn't really cut that much. All of the cuts came through on the capital budgeting side. Um, that's the great swing thing that's the easiest and laziest thing to do um, in, in, a, in a crisis. So I think one of the European initiatives that I would most welcome would be to give the capital spending decision of all governments to something like the European Investment Bank. And then I think you'd get the Germans more willing to countenance things like Eurobonds. Yeah, just because your kids want you know, to have uh, fast food seven days a week or spend 24 hours seven on the, on the PlayStations doesn't mean you let them, you know. Uh, a good parent does the right thing, not, not the popular thing. And uh, I think politicians, I know it's been different, different, but I think sometimes you've got to stand up and say, no, this got to do the right thing here, not, not the popular thing. And I think hmm? There may be some advantage to the European budget rules and mm. European control. Mm, indeed, I think so, yeah. What do you say to the argument, Alan, that the Irish economy may actually be in danger of overheating and that uh, the SRI and some others have put this forward and that we might actually have to possibly consider in the next year to actually pushing up taxes a little? Well, yeah, I think. I mean, if you look at the property markets, I mean, have we learned any lessons there? We seem to be our love for properties. It seems to be as, as great as ever, and you, you do you, you do worry about the uh, whether we're going to repeat of what happened before. The property prices go up uh, now. There is some control, I suppose, this time around with the central bank, at least with the regulations on 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 mortgages. But um, if your economy is growing by um, um, whatever seven seven eight percent a year, and you're going to be Lashing money more left, right, and centre into it as, as these guys want to do, and ladies as well. It has to be said, um, that doesn't uh, argue well down the road. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, Cliff, I think m- most of these things fall on deaf ears as far as politicians are concerned. I don't think uh, I think one or two of them know how it works, and I think if they were given a free rein at it, they'd, they'd probably do the right thing. But I think, unfortunately, 
Um, the view seems to be, and not as Chris says, not just here but across Europe, you know, populations have had enough of this austerity. It's time to give some money back. Um, but the, diff- the problem is that I suppose some economies are stronger than others or are doing better than others. Um, and you could argue that, you know, if your economy is growing the way ours is at the moment, you don't need further stimulus. The, the idea that an economy with 8% plus unemployment is overheating strikes me as being daft. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's a nonsense idea. The idea that an economy within a monetary union with 8% unemployment could be overheating leads me to say, well, even if it is, so what? Um, so, long as you've got, so long as you've got control of your banks, that they're not going on this overseas borrowing binge like we did before, um, and your government budget deficit is under, under control, as it is, both things are happening, um, then A, I would say the overheating argument doesn't hold water, and B, even if in an old-fashioned sense it began to, we could say we actually had the situation of 4 or 5% unemployment and old-fashioned overheating was taking place, then we might have to, to worry about it. But in a monetary union, not so much. Alan? Well, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, all I can say is we were here before, We I think we were running a surplus not too long ago in the budgetary numbers, and it still went, went pear-shaped on us, pear-shaped on us. So... Um, I hope lessons have been learned. I take Chris's point. I mean, obviously, unemployment is, not, is a lot higher than it was, uh, you know, at the height of the Celtic Tiger era. But, you know, I, I just worry slightly that we're still, you know, the economy, okay, might need a little bit of push. But, I mean, I worry that these guys, the, 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 the government will just, you know, let's lash money at it and we don't need to lash money on it, really. And, 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 you know, I think the moment, fair enough, I mean, we might get another year or two out of it, but you'd, you'd worry three or four years down the line if we're, Throw money left, right, and centre. Economists are doing well, and you'd expect by their own forecast that we're, we're heading towards full employment, that um, that um, we could be in trouble. But I, I don't think it'll happen yet. And you know, like a lot, a lot of these things, uh, uh, you know, it'll be probably factors outside our control that that'll bring it down anyway. It won't be necessarily our own sort of uh, decision making. I mean, there are a lot of issues out there, and we touched on Europe, but there's another big one in, in November in, in, in the United States, which has potentially <laughs> serious ramifications as well if, you know, depending on who gets in, in into the White House, I mean, g- given some of the the, uh, the policy or sort of comments that have been made that what will happen, you know, when they do get in. So, you know, global trade could be, well, global trade's been weak in the last few years, but it could have serious ramifications for global trade and other issues. So, you know, it may well be that like most things, because we're a small open economy, that it'll be something that we haven't foreseen or that catches us out rather than, you know... That's really interesting actually. because one of the slogans, the slogan now of the Brexit campaign is take back control. Hmm. Um, and, and the UK is as larger, but it's still, in the, in the wider scheme of things, it's, uh, an open economy, small to medium-sized open economy. Um, and if you go think about our own situation here in Ireland, if somebody came up with a slogan, take back control, we'd all fall about laughing yeah. because at least we have the maturity to understand <laughs> that uh, most of these things yeah. are happening external to us, are outside of our control. Yeah. And that's actually just as true for the UK for the Brexit debate. It would be a, it's, a, it's a bogus slogan. Um, and so, so it's a sense in which I think we are a wee bit more mature than they are, that such a slogan here wouldn't be taken seriously. But the model we have is, we, well, we're not in control, so we might as well ride the... Right, right. The good times while we can, and worry about the bad times yeah, when yeah. they arrive. In that context, would it make sense, for example, to say, forget about the fiscal space? We're going to eliminate borrowing next year. We're going to get our debt ratio down as quickly as possible and get ourselves into a safe position because we have no idea what's going to happen next year. I think, or is be, that bad economics? That's not bad economics. It has the virtue of honesty, um, and I think that you know one of the things that we could usefully do is nothing. Um, if we do nothing at the moment, we probably will be getting back to budget balance um, 
you know, if these forecasts are right or something close to it, which is which is no bad thing. A period of stability would be a great thing for business. I think most people in the private sector in this country would welcome the absence of a budget, the absence of a spring statement. And context is everything. We're talking about 900 million, a billion here, which in the overall size of the Irish economy is neither here nor there. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it is. It's fascinating, but I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what odds you're getting there now, but I mean, it's, I suppose it's not totally conceivable that you have, you have Brexit, you get uh, Donald Trump in the White House, you have Marine Le Pen as president of France, Angela Merkel getting chucked out in Germany next September, uh, Gert Wilders in this right wing Freedom Party in Holland, and then we'll have a completely different world than we have now. And if you thought things are bad, I'll tell you. Multiple demons. <laughs> okay, on, the, on, on that cheerful note, <laughs> on that cheerful note, we'll wrap up. We'll be back. Uh, thank you both very much for your very interesting contributions. We'll be back after a short break to talk about JP McManus and his rows with the US revenue. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Now I'm joined in studio by Mark Paul, Business Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, to talk about the dispute between J.P. McManus, Irish businessman, and the IRS, the US Revenue Authorities. This week, J.P. McManus hit back at the IRS and the Irish Revenue Commissioners in his battle to regain $5.2 million in tax withheld from a $17.4 million gambling win in the US. Mark, it might be good to briefly set the scene for people. How did this all start? Well, J.P. McManus, uh, as you know, Cliff, he's a, he's a well-known gambler. I mean, he's, he's effectively a professional gambler uh, in many ways. Um, back in 2012, he played a game of backgammon over three days with a US billionaire called Alec Gores. Now, Alec Gores is a... a in fact, he's a, he's a tech billionaire. He runs a private equity company called the Gore Group. Um, they financed 80 or 90 um, different technology companies. And he's a sort of a, he's a little bit of a celebrity gambler himself. He's been known to have games with uh, Sylvester Stallone um, and with Ben Affleck and uh, with Tobey Maguire. So he likes to sort of hang out with well-known characters. Are these games can really go on for three days? Well, it went on for three days. I don't play backgammon myself, but apparently J.P. McManus is well-known for it. Apparently he carries a backgammon set with him uh, around all the time. He carries one uh, onto airplanes and sometimes he's been known, apparently, to, um, to, to, to challenge the people he's sitting beside on an airplane to a game of backgammon. Um, so they played, for, um, they played for three days and uh, J.P. McManus won. Uh, backgammon, from what I know of it, is a game of, of luck and of skill. Um, and he won $17.4 million. Now, um, uh, Alec Gore then withheld, he paid the money, obviously. He paid up uh, like a good uh, man should when he loses a bet. Um, but he withheld 5.2 million euros of that 17.4 million as a withholding tax. Because um, if it, if it uh, later transpired that tax was due on the winnings and, he, and, and hadn't been paid over, potentially he could be held liable in a way. So he withheld 5.2 million. What, what, what was the reaction of the US tax authorities to this uh, 
Well, well, he, well, well, initially, well, J.P. McManus argued that he shouldn't have to pay any tax at all because he mm. pays the, 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 the domicile levy in Ireland. This is, as, as you know, this is a, a levy that, that was introduced at the height of the financial crisis in 2010, where if you have more than five million pounds worth of or euros worth of Irish assets, um, you pay 200,000 euros um, on the basis of your worldwide income, and that's you done. Um, and he says, J.P. McManus says under double taxation rules between Ireland and the US, this should cover him for, uh, for any tax on his gambling winnings. And initially, the, the IRS seemed to accept this. Um, and he, the, the 5.2 million was approved for repayment. And then it went to another department of the IRS for a sort of an, another administrative look over. And nothing ever happened after that. This is according to J.P. McManus. Mm-hmm. Um, so J.P. McManus, uh, uh, in, uh, then uh, late last year, um, went to, uh, to the US federal courts to try and get his money back. And he's now suing the IRS. And why won't the IRS pay him, pay him the money back? The IRS say that um, the, 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 the domicile levy is not a covered tax under under this treaty between the US and Ireland. It's it's, it's a nineteen ninety seven treaty. It was devised um, um, almost twenty years ago, and it 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 it's basically it's for the benefit of taxpayers, not for the benefit of the of the of the of the, of the revenue services. But it's, it's so people obviously don't pay too much tax and don't pay tax twice if they if it's something that's there so cross border. If JP McManus was paying income tax in Ireland and and yes. fully in the Irish tax system, he yes. wouldn't have to pay this bill. But the IRS is arguing that because the domicile level is the only is the only tax he, income tax he pays in Ireland that, that, yes, that he's and, not and, effectively and, an Irish taxpayer. Uh, yes, and, and, and effectively what our argument is that the domicile levy is not an income tax at all. It's a mm. wealth tax and it's a tax aimed at the wealthy. And they're saying, well, you know, it's not a covered tax. It's not a wealth tax. So it, it, it all depends on whether or not the US courts find um, um, is a domicile levy a covered tax under this treaty. Now, to bolster their, their case... Um, the IRS were in contact with the revenue commissioners and the revenue commissioners... Um, um, the revenue uh, commissioners in Dublin. The revenue commissioners in Dublin. Um, an official from there wrote a letter to the IRS saying the domicile levy is not a covered tax. We don't consider it a covered tax under this treaty. And this was put into the court case to say, hey, look, Mr McManus, you really need to pay us this money. Now, the name of the revenue official who wrote that letter was redacted. And J.P. McManus this week um, hit back against the IRS and the revenue commissioners by saying, you know, basically that it was a disgrace that his name was withheld. He wants that letter thrown out in evidence. Um, he says that the whole case of the IRS um, and their whole defence to his claim rests on this letter. Um, he, he suggested that officials within the Irish revenue commissioners may be jealous of his success because he's one of the best known and wealthiest Irish men. And, uh, um, and he also accused, it was a pretty blistering, extraordinary attack on the IRS. Uh, he accused the, 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 the Revenue Collection Agency of the United States of making up facts uh, about the way gambling should be taxed um, and of misrepresenting the rules and the tax treaty. And, uh, and, 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 and really, it was, a, it, it was a very stinging attack. And now the case is ongoing. It hasn't finished yet. But um, um, the IRS now has a couple of weeks to respond to what J.P. McManus said this week. So these were pleadings lodged this week by, on, the, on behalf of Mr. McManus by his by his legal team. Is that that's is that right? That, that 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 that's it effectively. Yeah, um, it was uh, the, the 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 main. Uh, the, he lodged about six or seven documents in total with about. 35 or 40 exhibits attached to them. So you're talking hundreds and hundreds of pages. And the main piece um, was, a, was, a, was a 46 page, um, uh, very strongly worded piece by his, by his lawyer. It was lodged in, in J.P. McManus's name, but clearly written by his lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably one of the most strident and, uh, 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 you know, to the point attacks you will ever see on a revenue collection agency. But the case is ongoing. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, we do have to stress that, that um, um, obviously they've got opposing points of view and they're both, um, and they're both lodging opposing pleadings. But it looks like a very, very interesting case with a lot of money at stake for J.P. McManus. It does indeed. 
then what happens next? So the the the, the U.S. tax authorities have a chance to respond. You're saying now they do have a they do have a chance to respond. What the U.S. tax authorities previously did was they basically sought a summary judgment on this, um, and they produced this letter. They produced to the court in, in their pleadings this letter from. Um, uh, from the Irish Revenue Services and also actually they photocopied an article from the Sunday Times in which the revenue commissioners were quoted as saying um, um, the domicile levy is not a covered tax and they entered this as evidence. Um, now what JP McManus was suggesting this week was that the whoever the person was who signed the revenue letter whose name has been redacted is probably the same person who gave this quote to the, to, to, to the, uh, to, to the Sunday Times and that um, I think what he said was what he hinted at was he used the words, it's troubling that they don't want their name to be revealed. Um, and uh, a, a clear, the clear implication was, was that he feels there's some sort of an agenda against him. This is what he's, this is what he's hinting at in his court papers. Now, obviously, this is something that the revenue commissioners, I'm sure, would reject. Um, but uh, the case hasn't gone to trial yet. Um, and no, uh, no judgments have been given. Um, and uh, like I said, in a, in, in a couple of weeks' time, the IRS will have to respond to what J.P. McManus has just said. Um, but if and when it does get to trial, it's sure to be, uh, it's sure to be a good old It'll ride. be interesting, all right. Thanks, Mark. That's it for today. Thanks to my three guests, Chris Johns, Irish Times columnist, Alan McQuaid, economist with Marion Capital, and Mark Paul of the Irish Times business team. And thank you for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.